Hello and welcome to the I'm Not A Barista podcast, where you can get inspired by real life stories from the people behind the cup. Join us as we talk about everything to do with coffee, from having a career in this industry to brewing tips and how you can support this global community. Humanity runs on coffee and together we can empower the people behind the cup. Hello everyone, my name is Miki Wong, I'm your host today and very happy to be talking to the founder of Subminimal, Dominic Simons. He's a product designer, entrepreneur, and most importantly, he's a big coffee lover. If you're into Kickstarter or home brewing, you must be familiar with his very successful Kickstarter project, the Ninoformer Microform Milk in 20 Seconds. His project raised more than half a million US dollars from about 6,000 international backers. It is one of the most successful Kickstarter project in 2020. So let's get to know Dominic and hear about his story, how he started everything as a product designer. Yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, so it started out with, you know, me being an industrial designer. I've, I've known since I was a kid exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, there was, there was no mystery in life. I, this is what I was meant to be. <clears throat> and then so um, I grew up in Switzerland. I studied in California afterwards and then i founded a company in california in 2000 in 99 actually um doing consulting then in 2005 i started manufacturing my own products and started a sort of tech accessory company so we made a lot of cable management and phone chargers and things like that this is this was before the ipod and iphone even came out so then we kind of rode that wave. So when the iPhones and the whole iOS ecosystem came about, we were part of the all of the plethora of accessories that um, that came out with that. And I grew the company to sales and distribution into 42 different countries. Um, we had two offices, one in LA, one in, in Indonesia. Um, and um, yeah, so we had 15 staff and it was, it was cool. Um, and then in 2018, I had the opportunity to sell that brand. Um, and so I sold it to, to a US company. And since then I've been freelancing, doing some design work and sort of planning my next venture. And I've always been super passionate about coffee. Um, I love espresso and espresso-based drinks. And decided to you know put some energy into into this space which was also booming i mean i've i designed an espresso machine back in 2005 for a client in austria um, That's so very i was early. really yeah i was really hooked on on espresso and, and coffees like way before it became way before you see the trend that is that you see in these days right um but then i i ended up you know in the sort of tech world and and didn't do anything um with it but after the after i sold my previous company I um, had the opportunity to sort of refocus and decide that this was an industry I wanted to to spend some time and energy on, um, and that's how I ended up, you know, you know, designing the first product that you've seen, the, the Nanoforma, um, and it's the first, obviously, in a series. I want to build this into a brand um, and go from there. So you studied your first coffee design back yeah. in two thousand five. <laughs> that's many years ago. And definitely very impressive. Could you tell right. us about where or when did you start your coffee journey? And were you a big coffee lover before that? 
Well, back then, I mean, when I started working on the, on, I mean, I always liked coffee even before that, but when I started designing the espresso machine, um, then yeah, I really started researching all the intricacies and the, the finesses and what it takes to, to make a really good espresso. And then once you, once you start going down that path, you know, it's like, there's no way back, right? <laughs> it's like, there's no way back. Yeah. Yeah. You end up trapped there. And, uh, and then, you know, after that project was done, I, I've, I mean, I had samples of espresso machines that they sent me that I had at, at home. So I had like a semi-professional machine at home, which was kind of nice. Um, mm -hmm. But after that, it was really more like frequenting really nice coffee shops. I mean, I, I really like, I enjoy the experience. I enjoy the experience of the coffee shop as well. And so it was always, if I'm traveling or anywhere I go, like that's one of the first things on my list is to try and find, you know, what's the coolest coffee shop near where I am, near the hotel, near the airport, near where, wherever it is, I, I always wanted to know. And, and so, so I have this sort of love of going and, and really enjoying um, uh, coffee and, and coffee shops, but then, um, you know, started making, you know, espresso at home again. Um, and, uh, and once I had more free time after selling the company, I was really making coffees at home a lot. Um, and that's where I, I really decided to focus on you know, making tools for people who want to make really good coffees at home. Um, that was that was the idea. So you launched your project last year, right? Yeah, it was um, October last year, yeah. Actually, it's the perfect time to launch such a product for people who <laughs> make coffee at home because of the pandemic. Most people, we, we can make simple pour over, that's easier. But if you want to make a latte, you need to invest a lot for a... Uh, uh, expensive coffee machine of course and then you yeah and you also need some space for the big machines and if you don't drink lots of coffee every day it's kind of completely waste because you know the heat up and the cleaning everything is just super complicated right yeah yeah and so, so the pandemic was kind of weird because obviously i developed that way before the pandemic hit i mean i you know product development takes a long time and and it took a long time of, of testing. I mean, honestly, this was also kind of a side project. I was working on different types of projects um, within the coffee space. And then this is one which was not sort of my primary focus, but then it became the first product that I developed because I, you know, design is not always linear. I mean, if you're just designing something for the shape, then yeah, sure, I can design a nice tamper tomorrow, right? But if you're designing something to try and solve a problem and, and come up with something, a new solution, it's not always linear. Sometimes, you know, you work on a project, you give up, you work on it again and you stop and then, and then you see a truck go by and something on the truck inspires you. Right. And then, so that gives you an idea on how you could do something. And, and so it's really not linear. And so I had a few things going on and all of a sudden this sort of milk frothing, um, project really boiled to the front. Um, but again, as I said, it was developed way before the pandemic hit. Um, and when the pa pandemic first hit, I was like, oh no, this is terrible. I mean, do I really want to launch a business when, when the whole world looks like it's coming to an end? Um, but then two or three months into the pandemic, you realize, oh, now I wish I was launching it yeah. sooner. Now I, I wish I already had it in, in production, yeah. <laughs> right? Because all of a sudden it's like, the world is not quite coming to an end, but everybody is at home, you know, and this is the perfect time. So all of a sudden I, I went from, having this fear of launching a new company during a pandemic to, you know, wanting to push forward and, and move even faster to launch. Um, because you're right, the timing, the timing is right. And 
uh, obviously the pandemic has lasted a lot longer than anybody expected. People are still at home. People are still making coffees at home. But we've probably also seen sort of a permanent shift. I mean, now that people have bought the tools and accessories and, and, and learned how to make a good coffee at home, this is probably something that more and more people will keep as a permanent routine, even if they do end up going back to the office and everything. Yes, this pandemic definitely changed a lot of things. And uh, we, we created a lot of, uh, this pandemic created a lot of new uh, coffee lovers. <laughs> they uh, got hooked by boring coffee at home. So I guess uh, after the pandemic, people will keep the same routine, like you said. Um, it's a fantastic, like everything just uh, happened at the right time. And then it was a big success for your project. Um, you were 1, 000, more than 1,000% success, right? To your goal. Yeah, I, I didn't count the percentages, but yeah, we... we that, that's very, very impressive. It, it <laughs> uh, could you tell us more yeah, about the, uh, the project, how you prepare it and how you... I know the product has this uh, unique characteristic and it definitely addressed the pain point of all coffee lovers and with a great design and great marketing as well. So tell us more about how you prepare the project from the very beginning, you know, once you say, I want to launch this right now, even if it's a bad time. Mm. Well, it's really, it's really quite progressive. I mean, I think with, with projects like this, you need to spend a lot of time testing. So, I mean, the, the design process was trial and error. You, again, you don't just, um, it's not just a shape, right? It has to function and it has to function with milk and alternatives, milk and this and different things. And so you don't know how it's going to behave, even at the different temperatures of the milk. And so, I've tested so many solutions from vibrating to ultrasonic to all these different methods of trying to achieve, you know, microfoam without a steam wand. Um, and then once I had a solution that worked, I mean, I literally used my Dremel tools and things. I had like literally like workshop tools and I was making coffee in the morning using literally a, a <laughs> workshop tools, right? With different attachments wow. at the end. <laughs> but, and so if you looked at my kitchen, I was, it, it looked pretty weird when I was making my, using my prototypes. And then you get to a point where you you get comfortable and um, uh, with with what you have, and you feel like you know it's it's kind of ready for prime time. And that's when it that's when it gets really quite painful because because then you're like, okay, this is good, we're going to do that. So we applied for the patents and everything to get some protection, meet your suppliers, and then then it seems to take forever. Like the mo from the moment from the moment you you know you have a good product, until the moment you can launch. I mean, it's 18, it's 18 months, sometimes up to two years, but th that 18 months, or it's like, it seems like forever. You know, by the time you've launched it, it's new to everybody else, but for you, it's like an old project. Right? Yeah, You've been working on it totally so long. Understand. Uh, and it's the most frustrating time because you really want the world to know about it and you really want to get it out. But you have to do the tooling and you have to do testing and you have to do certifications and check with FDA and all the regulations. And, and there's just so many steps. On, on the other hand, because it's a brand new company, I mean, I used to do that with my previous company and we had, you know, 15 people, um, but I had a graphic designer, I had different people, that, salespeople that, that did all the different parts. In this case, I'm starting from scratch and I'm doing 100% myself. I mean, it's just, it's literally a one-man show, right? So from- Solo project. Yeah, so from all the photography, all the, um, um, I mean, everything, photography, film, everything I did, um, I kind of did by myself. But I was able to do that be because the product development takes that much time, right? Because it took, let's say, 12 to 18 months to develop the tooling and everything. 
during that time, I could develop my identity, develop my logo, you know, apply for all the trademarks, develop the website, and even learn different web technologies and, and learn videography and, and do, do all that stuff. You did it all And yourself. you can, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> and uh, once I start launching the second or third product down the line, you know, I don't know if I'll have the time to do everything alone, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of good to get back to the roots. Well, what a journey, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I hope you have the time to relax a little bit after this project. Um, it's such a long journey. Uh, could you tell us more about the current status of your project and what is really going on there and what's going to happen next? Yeah, so we're currently um, in pre-order. So that all the so when we did the crowdfunding, we had um, early birds which we were shipping early. And so what I did with that is I actually did a pre-production one. I, I really like to be ready like that. So, so when, when I launch a product, it's something I really believe in. Um, I, I feel like I've tested it sufficiently myself or with some friends, but we don't do a huge amount of research up front. So not that many people have seen it, right? But I really, I, I really, I really believe in it. And so that means I also already invested in the tooling and development and, and it's, it's pretty much ready to... Uh, to go right and so once we launched the kickstarter we uh anyway so once i launched the kickstarter what i was saying is that i was pretty much ready and we did our we did our a pre-production run so we had a, our first sort of minimum order run which we produced and we could offer those up to the early birds so we were already in production and we knew that i knew that this was something i was you know going to be doing um But then, you know, you never know how successful the crowdfunding is going to be. And you still need to place your second order, you know, once that's completed. And so, and so that's what we did. And my lead time is not so quick. We have a, you know, three month lead time with our supplier. So it takes quite some time to, to restock. Um, but that's what we've been doing. And everything has been pretty much on time. I mean, you always have some delays here or there or something that goes, you know, a little bit wrong. It's pretty natural as part of the process. Um, but yeah, we're on time. All the products are in the containers right now on the way to LA and Singapore where we have our warehouses and, um, we should be shipping at the end of February. The goal was to ship at the end of February. Um, it's going to be super tight because, um, I think both containers are seem to be delayed by about a week now. Uh, so it's going to be really tight, but I hope to start, um, doing all the, all the deliveries at the end of February. And then from then, from that, from that moment onwards, once I've shipped out all the crowdfunding orders, then it, um, and start working with distributors and sort of the business gets going, basically the business as, as it will for the next. Yeah. Uh, are you still yourself working on the whole project or you have some more help right now? I hope you do. <laughs> no, it's still me. <laughs> That's that's very impressive. Yeah. I truly understand how uh, difficult it is for, but I guess um, well that's the process. That's the the interesting part as a solo entrepreneur. You do everything yourself. Everything yeah. yeah. No, it's kind of interesting as well because you you go through these different phases. I mean, with my previous company, as I said, we grew to about fifteen people. I had eight people here, six seven people in LA, um, and it's great because you have all the different people who do different things. Um, but I, right now I also, I kind of like this remote working. I mean, I, I kind of do enjoy working from home and, and developing. And so 
you know, as the company grows, I, I am going to need people. Um, most probably they're going to be remote as well. Um, I'm not super keen on going the traditional route of getting an office and, and having a bunch of employees in the office and all that um, currently, right? I mean, that might have to change, but I'm pretty happy. That, and the challenge with that is finding, you know, very trustworthy people that, that you know are going to be, you know, putting 100% behind it when when you don't see them on a daily basis, right? Um, so that's so it's more challenging to hire and find the right people. But um, yeah, it's kind of the new way of working. So if I, if I can make it work that way, then I will. But is is it great to hear that you so far manage everything so well together just by yourself? And let's say everything runs smooth and the shipping will be on time. And then you find great distributors so you can share this awesome product with the, a couple of from all over the world. I truly believe this is a very, very successful product. So let's talk about coffee and tell us what drinks, what coffee do you drink every day? Is it only espresso, latte, or are you also a pour-over lover? Yeah, I mean, I, I buy locally, so I always buy like locally roasted, I find. And I try different coffees from from different local roasteries. And so you have your preference and um, and you use that for you know a few months and then you try something new and you have a new preference. I don't, I don't have tons of coffees um, on hand. I always have one or two that I like at the moment and then I try. Um, I use a flare to, to pull my espresso. So I do it fully manually with a, with a flare espresso maker. Um, you can pull some really good shots on that. I, I do really like it. Um, and then um, I used to grind by hand, but that got, that got pretty tiring yeah. after a while. Yes. <laughs> um, because we, we always make two coffees, it's me and my girlfriend, we always make two coffees at a time and, and grinding by hand just got a little bit, um, a little bit exhausting. So I ended up, one day I was in a coffee supply store and I, I bought a Mazza Mini. So, I, so the, biggest, the biggest accessory I have in my house is the grinder. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this massive grinder and then the smaller flare next to so it. In this case, uh, a electric grinder is definitely what you're needed and it's going to be very helpful. Yeah. And I can imagine if you grind uh, coffee for espresso every time by hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely yeah. lots of work. So what machines do you have at home right now? Not anymore, no. No, I mean, I everything by hand, yeah. yeah. Well, so tell us about your daily coffee routine. Yeah, and you get you sort of get down to your little routines, right? I mean, you, the first couple of times you do it, it's maybe a bit awkward, but, you know, after you've done it for a couple of weeks and now a couple of years, you really get down to your routine. I mean, how you warm up your milk. You know exactly that you can put the milk on the stove, turn it on to the lowest heat, grind, tamp, did, did it, and do all your stuff. And everything will just come together just right. You, you just end up with this like mini routine that you do um, and it works for you. I think everybody ends up in that, that little cycle that they end up doing. It's a big part of life in practice every morning. <laughs> in the end, yeah. it's like a yeah, part of us. Um, do you drink pour over or use other brewing methods in your daily life? No, I've, I don't know why. I've always been stuck on espresso um, since, since the beginning. I've never really drank pour over. I mean, my parents are English. I'm, I'm, I grew up in Switzerland, but I have English parents. So we drank tea a lot, at yeah. home, right? English people like tea. And, uh, and so somehow for me, like if, I, if I'm going to drink a pour over, I'd rather have a nice tea. That's the way I see it. Um, like when I drink espresso, I want something really strong or, or something with a bit of milk. Um, but if I'm going to have a longer drink, 
um, I would tend to make tea rather than rather than coffee. So so it is like yeah. espresso or no coffee. And anyway, you got all the tools you need for a perfect shot of espresso. So definitely, it's a good, yeah, it's right. a big advantage. <laughs> No doubt that you're a very successful designer, perfectly combined coffee and product design. And in your opinion, what makes a good designer? How to create such a successful project? Or what is your secret? Yeah, so I think there's a, I mean, there's, you know, design comes in so many shapes and forms that I, I don't think there's one solution, right? And, you know, you see, you see design processes that go through all kinds of, you know, committees and all kinds of, of research to get to a final solution. But then you also have, you know, designers who are just one person with a, an amazing idea or ability to come up with the right ideas. And I don't think one is the right way or the other, right? It depends, you know, what, who it's for. If, if it's for a massive company like Volkswagen, then maybe you need one way. If it's for another brand like mine, then you need the other way, right? Um, but for me, one thing that's kind of interesting is like, I, I mean, I designed footwear and, and, and sports equipment and stuff like that in the past. And a lot of that is like, there's, there's a lot of innovation in it, but it's also very visual. And for that, you end up designing so many versions, right? You have so many versions of shoes or boots and things. And I end up struggling making a decision. I mean, I have my favorites, the one I like, but it's just on a personal preference. Like, oh, I like this one or I like that one. When I design for myself, when it's my own brand, I have to have a real reason for that product to come to life. I don't want to make stuff, right? I, I don't consume much myself. I'm not a, I'm a designer, so I'm, I'm making new stuff in this world, but I don't really believe in the world needs tons of stuff, right? And so, so when I design a product, I really have to have, and if I'm going to invest in, in producing it, I really have to feel that it has a reason to exist. Um, so not just, um, again, a new shape or something pretty, it has to, and that's, and that's a challenge that that's what makes my products, what they are is that that's my requirement when I want to produce something, which is a little different if I'm designing for a client, if a client says like, Hey, we need a new pair of headphones or something, then yeah, you go and design and come up with headphones. And that's because the client asked for that. Um, and so my way of seeing, the design result is different if I'm producing something for myself as to if I'm doing something for clients. So passion plays a big role here. What other key factors? I think the key, the key factor is you have to go down a path um, and keep an open mind, uh, which is sometimes difficult. Sometimes you go down a path and you're so stuck on one way of doing something, right? And then you, and then, and then you branch off and you go like, oh, that's the way I should be doing it. And so, so you have to give yourself enough time and go down a certain path, keep an open mind to, you know, for that path to not be as linear as you thought it would be at the beginning. Um, so you, even in my case, so what you end up doing, and I think what makes a product really great is when you're able to, to focus on an area and then find out within that area that there's a gap and that you fill that gap. And I think that's kind of what's successful with this product is that, you know, I started thinking about coffee accessories. And when you think about it, there's a lot of coffee accessories out there. Um, but in reality, when you look at what, what I ended up doing, I ended up working on the milk, not the coffee. And that's why I really kind of filled a gap in the market because you have a lot of frothers, but they create all this bubbly foam. And 
Um, and no one has really solved that problem. There's a few solutions that, that attempts, but nothing, nobody's really solved that problem. And so I kind of let myself focus on this industry. I tried to force my way into doing product A, but on the, on the process, I found a gap, right, in the market. And, I, and that was, you know, dealing with the milk. And I ended up um, focusing on that. And I think that's what makes a product successful is when you, you're able to, you know, to find that little gap or, that, or find all. And also, as well, you also need to be at the right place at the right time. And we talked about that earlier with the pandemic. Maybe this is the right time. And that was just yeah. totally coincidental, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that I sold my company in 2018, started focusing on this, about to launch it, and then a pandemic hit, and no one could have planned that. But sometimes that's, that's just what it is. You know, if I'd done this product in 2005, maybe no one would have noticed because, you know, the third wave coffee had not really been in full swing yet and the pandemic was not on. <laughs> so, so timing is also very important. Well, timing is super important. And I believe there are other factors are equally important here, such as your design experience, your special skills, and your ability to make everything happen by yourself. That's really impressive. So let's get to know the real you. What kind of person are you in real life? Yeah, I listen to I listen to music. I've been, I've become less and less specific about my music. I think I was much more specific earlier. Now it's like um, it's not something that I absolutely have to always have on. Um, I read a lot, but I read a lot of news. I've I've become one of these persons who just consumes snippets, right? You just um, I over time I found it harder and harder to really finish a book. It's kind of sad, but that's the reality of our of how we live uh, to a great extent. And I've I've picked up books and I've gotten halfway through and um, just, you know, can't get to the end anymore because I'm, I've, I've moved on to this society of just reading short, fast articles and, and a lot of news. Um, um, as a person, I mean, I'm, you know, generally pretty mellow, uh, pretty shy, not necessarily, um, you know, when it comes to launching a product or brand as well, I'm not necessarily someone who likes to shout and scream about, you know, what I do. Um, so it's always good for me to have, you know, someone doing marketing for me, <laughs> um, because like, <laughs> because like, I'm not the person who, who, you know, advertises myself that much. So I'm usually pretty reserved. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not comfortable with my own voice. You know, it just doesn't, uh, I just, I, I'm just not comfortable with it. It's like, <laughs> But talking about that video, like because of the pandemic, I couldn't get, I have this really great latte artist that I wanted to work with and, and we were supposed to do the video together and we just, we couldn't do it because he couldn't come here. Um, so in the end, I'm the one who's, who is doing all the pours in the video. And I never expected that because I don't think, I mean, my latte art is not that great. I mean, I learned as I did this project, right? This is how I, how I picked it up. But again, I was kind of forced and I had a video team in place that I wanted to use as well. And nothing could have, we couldn't do anything. I actually waited three months hoping everything would settle down and, and then it would work out. But it looked like nothing was ever going to settle down. So I eventually shot the whole, you know, kickstarter video myself and... and well, it just surprised I, me I, again. It literally everything. Literally, my girlfriend was holding the camera and I was directing everything. We did it everything in my house here. 
literally from A to Z. Um, and I just hired someone to do the voiceover because I'm just not comfortable with my voice. So. I, I totally understand that it's very, very difficult to fall in love with your own voice in the very beginning. And talk about your challenges. I think so. I think my challenge was my my fear of the unknown. Like it, you feel like Kickstarter. Is, I launched a lot of products with my previous company, but we did it the traditional way. We either did trade shows or press releases, and we never did a crowdfunding. And crowdfunding is a little bit different. And one of the main differences is this whole concept of the pre-launch. Like you need two months or more to to pre-launch. Well, I'm used to be. I'm used to being pretty secretive about my products before launching. Like we have launch day, that's when I reveal my product, right? But with crowdfunding, you can't. You need to, you need to gather community before you launch. And yet, I didn't want to reveal my product before I launched. So how did I, you know, how do you how do you advertise a product without showing the product, right? And say like we've got this great innovation, but I can't show you. It doesn't work, right? And and how do you start advertising a product? Without launching it, I mean, to me, it's like it is a conflict,、um, which works in some in some cases. It works. There's some projects that work really well like that, and in other cases, it it's more difficult. And that was one of my challenges: is really getting. And I knew a year beforehand that I would have to get comfortable with this idea, even though I didn't know how I was going to truly tackle it at the end. That how do I do a pre-launch? Without actually launching, how do I get people excited without revealing the product?、Um, and then there's all of the concerns of, of、um, you know, am I going to do a good enough job, and is it going to fail? You have this. I have this fear of failure, of course, because it's on Kickstarter. It's very public. If if your campaign flops, and then it's there for life, everybody sees it, and it's kind of a disaster, right? And so I wanted to be successful, and obviously I interviewed lots of different agencies to help with marketing. And you find that it's a bit of a zoo out there. There's so many different people offering so many different services, and it's it becomes very difficult to to try and understand what's real and what's worth it and what's not. Some people charge a lot. Some a lot of them want a percentage of your project, and and I was like, you know, is it? Is it yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of things to weed out and try and understand what's. What's real, what's not, and what you should be spending money on, and not. And I think once you've done it once, you know, maybe the second time around, you get a bit more comfortable because you've seen the process, you've gone through it once, and you kind of know, you know, what to expect. But it's really that that first time where you really feel like、um, uh, you're not sure if you're making all the right decisions. I believe most people, when they do something new first for the first time, and、uh, we all feel、uh, insecure a little bit. You know, can we make it? And is it worth it? And there are many other questions. But the result actually tells the truth that all the hard work paid off, and you did great job there. So, what is going to happen after this project? Are you going to take a break? No, no, I'm launching. I'm well. I'm developing. I mean, there's you know.、I've, I、um, as I said, I need to solve a problem. I need to to find something. So you're not going to see my company suddenly have a collection of 30 different products. It's going to be one product every 18 months or even more. I don't know because it, the time it takes to develop and、um, and so yeah, there's there's products in the pipeline. Some are simple, some are more complex.、Um, typically, probably increasing complexity unless I find something very simple that I can do. And I. Doesn't mean I'll do everything on Kickstarter as well. That was a great experience to launch, but it might not be the right 
avenue for the next products. I don't know. You're better off, you know, building one company and staying focused. And that's one thing that's very much what I'm about. I'm really about trying to stay focused. I don't want to do 20 different things at the same time. Um, I want to do, you know, one thing that I passionate about and really believe in. It is very hard to believe that you, one person could manage to finish all these difficult tasks. You must have learned a lot from this project. You communicate a lot with the backers and did research based on your understanding of the coffee industry. So based on your experience and knowledge gained from this project, what do you think has been changed in the coffee industry and then what will be the future? Um, the only, th I mean, the only change that I have maybe seen is, is what you said before of just people getting more used to making a quality coffee at home, you know, and I think there's more and more tools, the tools have off, a lot of them have been available, but there's more and more tools becoming available to make really good quality coffee at home. And I think the, the whole third wave coffee and coffee shops really gave people that taste of of what a great coffee can be like. Um, and once you've gone there, of course you can't go back. Um, but they, I, I often felt that there was a discrepancy, like, you know, the cappuccino I, I could make at home was nothing like the one that I got from the, the local coffee shop. Um, and I think people want that to become closer people want um, to have that same experience at home. And, uh, and so, you know, there's there's a number of, I mean, we're helping with that, but there's a number of other companies that are helping to to allow you to reach that same same level of coffee and, and take that that sort of mystique out of it and show you that like, yeah, you, you can do something that tastes just as good at home. It is true that you can brew very tasty coffee at home with the right tools and with the recipes. You may not be able to compete with the world champions on a stage, but making a good cup of coffee at home is very simple nowadays. I have learned a lot today from Dominic. Running a successful project requires more than just a good timing. You need to be very focused on the most important job, and you are willing to learn the new skills, knowledge. Of course, work hard. Thank you very much, Dominic, for joining us today. I am looking forward to seeing more projects from you. All right. Thanks again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the I'm Not a Barista podcast, where people get inspired and connected through coffee stories. If you want to join our community, then please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on our Instagram to get connected. Until next time, keep smiling and most importantly, keep drinking coffee.